poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com, Coach Brad Wilson. And today's guest on CPG is YouTube vlogger extraordinaire and School of Cards head coach, Matt Vaughn. Matt's one of those guys who constantly has his nose to the grindstone working to upgrade his game. While known primarily for his poker vlogs on YouTube, where he's amassed an impressive 18,000 subscribers, the dude's poker skills are legit. If you need evidence, go check out Matt's impressive showing battling on Solve for Wise Poker Out Loud. The man is a gamer. And before you dive into today's show, you may have heard about Matt's recent debacle on Ignition. If not, you can click through the link in today's show page to Matt's YouTube channel and find the video titled... I lost $136,686. Unfortunately, this conversation was recorded before all that went down, so you're not going to get to hear us dive deep, but here's my opinion on the matter. While playing a poker tournament on Ignition where everyone's totally anonymous in a state where they don't service players is against their terms and services, my personal belief from an ethical standpoint is that Matt didn't do very much wrong. If it was on a platform where he had a screen name and his opponents assumed they were playing against a different human being, then that would be one thing, but there's zero edge gained by just being anonymous player number six. With that said, there are obviously consequences for breaking the rules of ignition and Matt has now paid a very, very heavy price. Maybe one day in the future, all of us in the USA will have access to legal regulated online poker once again so that we can all just focus on playing this game we love and beating each other's brains in legally. With that out of the way, in today's episode with Matt Vaughn, you're going to learn why working hard to understand your opponents is of vital importance, stories from Matt's greatest hits collection in his journey playing cards, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I present to you an amazing dude who is a more amazing poker player, the one and only Matt Vaughn. Mr. Vaughn, good afternoon, sir. How you been? Good, good. Uh, glad to be back on Chasing Poker Greatness. It's been a while. It's been a long while, like a year and a half or so, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, maybe even more. I don't even know. <laughs> well, it's I don't think... Though, the- like the last year kind of flew, so... Yeah, I don't think the podcast has actually existed for more than a year and a half. It's all, it's only been live like it feels like it's been live forever, but the reality right. is it's like a, you know, 19 or 20 months old max. Oh, wow. Still um, baby. It it is. It's still still uh, in its baby stages. And really let's just talk about let's catch the listener up as to what you've been up to in the time between last episode and today. Sure. Yeah. Let's see. So if it was a year and a half, then, uh, there was technically some time in there that was, uh, not pandemic, (laughs) although, uh, I guess it couldn't have been too much. Um, I have been doing a lot of the same sort of stuff in, in terms of like, what are the big areas in my life? You know, I'm a poker vlogger, poker player, 
Um, I, I work with a poker trading site called School of Cards, and um, all of those things are still true. Um, but some of those things have kind of leveled up, I guess, in the past uh, year, year and a half. I, um, I'm actually engaged now. I've been with the same girlfriend, now fiance, for a very long time. Everybody always gives me a lot of shit for this. Um, we've been together now 10 and a half years and uh, only engaged for about the last, not quite year. Um, and haven't done a whole lot of planning yet, but we're now starting to plan for that. So that's pretty exciting. I am taking on sort of a different role with School of Cards than I used to. I think a year and a half ago, I was pretty much just like doing a little bit of content stuff and like a little bit of backend stuff, a little bit of, you know, whatever, like wearing a lot of hats, but like mostly just the content guy. And um, now I'm kind of running more stuff there. I'm kind of like the, um, I guess I, we don't really have titles, but like, I guess if there was a head coach, that would be me. So that's pretty cool. Um, it, it's been an interesting ride getting there. And I'm now also starting to like wear other hats that are a little more uh, managerial. So it's been, it's been an interesting road. Um, and then with the poker blog, it's pretty much just been uh, kind of the same old up until COVID hit, which was obviously um, a big roadblock for doing what I was doing since I was making primarily live poker content. And um, I stopped playing live poker in January, 2020. And didn't start playing live poker again until um, March 2021. So 14 months away from it, I pivoted pretty hard on my channel and with my own playing um, back to online, which, you know, I've been an online player on and off for a long time. And I started out online, so it wasn't uh, anything new for me, but I hadn't been like a primarily online player in quite a while. So it was uh, definitely some growing pains going back to it and taking it very seriously and for the first like you know six or eight months or so of the pandemic like I I didn't have a lot going on with school of cards because we weren't I mean we just weren't selling anything um, nobody was buying anything it didn't really make sense to focus on that so I was focused on playing much more so than I ever have been in my career and so it's kind of funny like the pandemic is sort of like the only time I really would have ever considered myself like a an actual professional poker player. So that was weird. I bounced around a little bit from format to format, um, eventually settled on um, mostly online MTTs. And I, I uh, toward the end of the pandemic, or well, not the end, but you know, the end of like the pandemic as I knew it before getting vaccinated, I was um, basically doing this like six or eight week sprint where I was playing four days a week of online MTTs. And just sort of like seeing what that was like, seeing if I enjoyed doing it, if that was something I might sort of continue to do. Um, and there were a lot of challenges that came with it. I hired two different coaches while like on first down swing of my life and um, really just developed quite a bit as a player and um, a bit as a person, I would say too, during that time. So, um, you know, I, I sort of am a bit, skeptical when people have this mentality or like preach this idea of like, well, if you didn't use the pandemic to its full potential, like that's on you or whatever. I'm kind of like, well, everybody's in a different, you know, situation. And like, I've had moments in the pandemic where like, I couldn't do shit. I couldn't get anything done. And, and I just had a really hard time, but I do think that I used the time pretty well. And I came out the other end as a very different player than when I went in, which is, I think, uh, 
kind of lucky almost like it's almost lucky I had like that downswing at the beginning that kind of uh jolted me back because I think that I've been a little bit complacent as a poker student um up until fairly recently yeah I mean it it sounds like you've got a lot of good things going on over the past year you know you got engaged you're working on your poker game and at the end of the day how do you feel about your game coming out of the pandemic versus going into the pandemic yeah, it's funny, right? Because every single time that I think about my poker game, it's like I'm at the furthest point in my career and in my study and whatever. So like I usually feel like okay about it looking in the past. But then this is probably the biggest leap forward as a player that I've made over this kind of a time period since being a beginner. And yeah. that's saying a lot because like as a beginner, obviously you can make very large leaps and bounds in a pretty short amount of time, like relatively, if you apply yourself and that stagnates, right? There's diminishing returns over time. So to have this happen in such a way where I was able to, you know, come out as what I feel like a completely new player with totally different, like a fun, totally different fundamental game uh, than when I went in, that hasn't happened to me at that degree since, you know, I don't know, maybe like, 2015 or something like that. Yeah. I mean, and it's just one of those things that was necessary for survival, right? Like basically if you want Mm -hmm. to survive in the online streets, well, you've got to be a fundamentally sound, good poker player. And there's a lot that goes into that. And like I've said it multiple times on, on CPG, but the time where my game got the worst was when I spent three years just playing live poker. Like it just degraded and deteriorated. And then when I went back to playing online, I was like, holy shit, like I got to figure out like where all the buttons are again, because (laughs) these guys don't let me get away with the stuff that the guys playing live poker were. And that just kind of leads to, you know, complacency and not learning, not growing, not evolving. So I think that like, Ultimately, for the listener, having a balance of playing some online and some live is just really priceless because you play a lot more hands online, you learn a lot faster, and you know if you're using it as a learning tool, you don't even have to play like super big, right? Like you can play smaller and still improve your fundamentals as a poker player. Yeah, that's a that's a really big one actually, and it was kind of a uh, funny for me as I ended up focusing on MTTs later on during the pandemic, and realizing like, okay, when I'm actually doing this as a grind, like not only do I not have to play that big for the purposes of like improvement or you know sort of that kind of mode of thinking, but like at the level of volume I was playing, like I didn't need an ABI of or an average buy-in of like more than $50 to like have really big swings in like a day or in a week. And so it was, it's like, it can be kind of deceptive too, where like you're not playing that big, but suddenly you're playing like four to eight days simultaneously. And it's like, okay, the, the like true stakes of what I'm doing right now in terms of like the volatility, if you were to compare it to like one tabling is like, you know, four to six times more. So, um, yeah, I think there's so much value to be gained from it. And I've always been somebody who bounced back and forth between online and live, but these like brief stints where I focus pretty much exclusively on online poker, um, 
have always been have always been really valuable and have always represented like the biggest strides forward in my game. Whereas the Times Live, maybe they represented like the largest monetary gains, but where I maybe I didn't stagnate hard, but I also didn't like leap forward ever as a player uh, in terms of like fundamentals and theory. You know, I could improve in other areas for sure, like social, um, you know, seeking out additional edges. Like this kind of stuff matters in live poker and it doesn't really exist that much in online. But at the same time, those things don't further your ability to beat games long term in the same way that having solid fundamentals does, having a, a really good grasp of theory does. Yeah, I mean, my co-host for Tactical Tuesday, John, has been playing online poker really for the first time in his poker career since the pandemic. I believe it was like he started coaching with me in August, playing 100 No Limit, and by January, he's playing 1K No Limit, and he like ripped off a 50K win in January, and he was recently vaccinated and going back to the live poker streets because that was like where he came from. And, and like, he had right. like just started shot taking at like live five ten, And he's like asking me questions about like, you know, 10 20 and like uncapped games and like, what are the expected swings? And I'm like, dude, like it's not as swingy as you think it is. Even like the 10 20 game, you know, like you're going to win or lose probably three buy-ins on average on a day. It's rare to like swing, 10 buy-ins in either direction, like very, very rare, like on, you know, two hands, I can count the number of times that I've swung like 10 plus buy-ins in a live poker session. So like, basically you're going to get in there and you're going to realize that like this, even at 10, 20 stakes, he had never played before is much smaller than playing one K and L uh, four tables at the same time against, you know, effectively much better competition. Yeah, I think I think it's also interesting though that you talk about the swings like as though they're kind of standard because I know players who they their style. I mean, this is really only in live poker, right? Because a lot of times these styles just get decimated online. But like, there are some players I know who like it's standard for them to swing up and down ten buy-ins, and like you know they'll do that twice a month, right? And and so it's like interesting. But I think that if you are playing kind of closer to theory standard in a live environment that you're definitely right. Like the amount of exposure that you have is, is quite a bit less than if you're multi-tabling one or even two stakes down um, online. And you can also just set stop loss that, you know, like there's not, it's not like you just have to sit there always. And I feel like that's one of the things that's actually a bit easier live uh, at least for me than it is online is like live. It's so much slower that if I'm at risk of, you know, it's just like ripping off a really bad loss and like, I'm at risk of making it worse than it needs to be. I can just quit in a, in a much easier way. Cause there's just so many more moments to insert your like rational side in between you, your emotional side and, and playing. Whereas online, I think it's very easy to, you fall off the deep end faster because the hands just come at you quicker and there's a lot less room for um, sort of like cognition that doesn't surround the literal poker decisions, like the literal in-game decision-making process. 
Yeah, I mean, it's you have less time to recover online than you do live because you're playing many more hands. The space between hands is, you know, you don't have space online. <laughs> Whereas in live poker, you're going to have, you know, probably a few minutes before right. the next hand. So like, you know, you can right. deal with your emotions. They don't get backed up online. You can kind of just go insane very, very quickly. If like a bunch of things happen all at the same time and you're like, you know, <laughs> you're obviously going to be more emotionally compromised when you get stacked at like three tables at the same time and you're playing four tables. Right. For sure. Um, tell me, let's go back a little bit because this style of like swinging 10 buy-ins twice a month. Tell me about like that. What does that mean? Yeah. Uh, I mean, so this is to be clear, this is not me. Sure. <laughs> I've never sure. been, I've never, I don't think I've ever lost or won 10 buy-ins live. I might've won 10 buy-ins like once, but that's like I've, ever over. Unfortunately, I've done both. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, fair, but like it's not like not it often. Be a regular sort of thing for me. Even even as I start to play deeper, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, bigger stakes, whatever. Um, um. By the way, actually, I think it. Quick aside. I think it's easier to swing ten buy-ins at lower stakes lines in a lot of ways than it is to swing ten buy-ins at higher stakes because even though like the skill levels are very vastly different. The open raise sizes relative to a buy-in at lower stakes is generally so much larger that I feel like it's a lot easier to experience a 10 buy-in. Like, I think I've lost, now that I think about it, I'm like, I think I've lost at least 1,500 at 1-2 several times. Mm -hmm. But, like, I don't think I've ever lost, you know, even close to 5K at 2-5 because it's like I might be open raising for the same size in both games, potentially, uh, depending on the lineup. So that's, that's, that's another factor, too, that... Uh, is kind of fair, but like at the two five level, the things that allow you to swing really hard like that are so number one, open raising really big, which is uh, a couple of these people like that's part of what they do is they're in there trying to play all the hands and the way that they don't end up playing seven way pots because they're playing every hand is they just open really massive. They're also often targeting somebody at the table. Uh, and so like they're trying to isolate against that one guy. And that, that's another reason that they do it. But th that's the main thing is just like the, the, the only way to see these runs is to deviate extremely far from what sort of like theory would dictate your open rate, your open raising ranges are pre and your three betting ranges are pre. The more hands you play, the more variance you're going to see in like any string of cards, any sort of like set number of hands. Like if you were to, I mean, the extreme example, right, is if you just didn't play any hands. If you literally folded 100% of hands, you would experience no variance. You would obviously lose. You'd lose a lot of money because you would just pay the blinds every orbit. But like you'd have no variance. And if you played 100% of hands, you'd you'd experience the maximum variance because every single hand is an opportunity for you to have that little pip of luck or you know like negative luck where you you swing harder up or down. It's funny because like. I see what you're saying. And at the higher stakes, basically like the one, two table, if you start ISOing somebody really, really big, it's unlikely even at probably two, five or five, five, it's unlikely that like the other players are going to mess with you as much. If you go to the higher stakes games and you start opening like 10 X at 10, 20, right. People are going to eat you alive if you're doing it too often. Like they know exactly what you're doing with the kind of hands that you're doing and they're going to punish you. You don't get punished yeah. as much for doing that at like, you know, the lower stakes. No, not a, yeah, it's a totally different. 
I mean, even live, right? Like the main thing is that live, the average reg or the average pro is not as good as they are online at equivalent stakes, but they still proliferate more at the higher stakes live than they do at the lower stakes live. Whereas like at one, two, you might find one semi-competent player and they're still probably going to leave you alone because they're generally fearful and generally don't want to play that big pot with you. Whereas as you're saying at higher stakes, five, 10, 10, 20, like it don't, they just don't, I mean, can I swear here? I don't know. Of course you can swear. Like this <laughs> <Yeah>. is... <laughs> they don't give a fuck. Basically <laughs> they don't give a fuck. So like if they, if they are, if they think there's an edge to be had, they will still go for it. Whereas like there are even players at one, two, where not only is it fewer of them who will identify there's even an edge to be had, but even if they identify it, I think there's a level of like, uh, I see that, but like, I don't really want to be the one who moves, loses the $600 pot or whatever. Right. Exactly. Like there's no like waiting for a better spot at higher stakes. There just is this spot in front of us and is this spot right. good enough? Right. And then you take it if you think it is. Right. Right. Okay. So you've been working on your poker game. You've been continuing vlogging. You're about to get into the world, right? You're about to start traveling again. Tell me about where you're going. Are you excited? It's actually been a really crazy trip for me. Um, I just got basically fully vaccinated uh, this past month. And so I, I, I sort of dabbled a bit in a few live tournaments since that happened. Just kind of like getting back the feel for it. Being around people was really weird in the first <laughs> couple times. Yeah. Um, and, and playing, uh, I definitely fell into it very naturally. Like it felt very good to just be at a poker table, like hold poker chips for the first time in, you know, 12 months or whatever. Very, uh, very strange experience, but very good and gratifying. But then I started to, of course, try to figure out how to see family basically, um, because I, I was lucky in that I actually moved in the middle of the pandemic. From uh, so before moving, I saw my I saw my parents, saw my fiance's family, but I hadn't seen them for like eight months, basically since moving across the country. Um, so I was excited to make that happen, and then kind of out of the blue, had uh, somebody who lived in an area I used to live, Madison, Wisconsin, reach out and say, "Hey, you know, do you want to maybe come?" to my home game and like, I'll pay you to come out or whatever. And so I was like, sure, that sounds great. Why don't I just bring this together? And so the plan was basically go out there for like a week, then fly out here to uh, the Boston area and spend time with family for two or three weeks. And maybe if I could swing it, try to get some kind of a meetup game going out here. I was also reaching out to some other properties trying to see if like maybe they were interested in me hosting something um, but I didn't really have great expectations because I haven't been making live poker content in you know a year plus and there are plenty of guys out there who have come back to live poker before I did it's not like live poker was just closed by me I just was choosing not to play so with all that in mind I was like all right maybe I'll swing like one one additional trip like locally while I'm here and what ended up happening was kind of nuts. While we were in Madison for this other trip, uh, I was got in touch with the lodge and closed a deal with them to host a meetup game there for May, was it May 5th through 8th, which was only like a month out from when I had the call. And it was going to be like right at the end of my trip anyway. So I'm like, well, 
why am I going to fly home? I'll just like fly from Boston to Austin, Texas in between, and then I'll go home. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also scheduled something with Boston Billiard Club out here. Um, It's not actually in Boston. It's technically in New Hampshire, which is, I was, that was pretty funny, but, um, and I'm doing that literally today as as we're recording this. So that'll be today. Um, And so, yeah, that's, that's like what I'm doing right now. I'm basically like casino hopping, but it all came together very sort of unexpectedly, very quickly. Um, but I'm pretty excited to just be on the road again. It's been such a long time since I've traveled and especially since I've like traveled to play. Um, so to kind of be in, you know, new casinos, especially casinos I've never been to before is really fun for me. I just, that's something I really enjoy just like being in a new city. You know, I don't really mind flying that much as long as it's not, you know, every single day of my life. And so just the whole experience around traveling to play, I really enjoy. And so I'm pretty pumped for it pretty pumped to start seeing some people who like the vlog again it's kind of been a while I, i've been doing a lot of the like online community stuff especially during covid um and that's been really gratifying too you know we hang out in discord uh sometimes we have to chat in like discord voice uh so that's audio so that's been really good even met up with a couple of those guys um but to be just like on the road for poker again is like exciting yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's good you kind of glossed over something i think in the last time we spoke you had not moved so where did you move to yeah um so kind of have to follow my trajectory a little bit here so i right after college i moved to madison wisconsin i lived there for three years and then i moved to maryland where i lived for about three years Mm-hmm. And in July of 2020, so like right in the middle of the pandemic, smack dab in the middle, uh, we decided to make the move to Las Vegas. Um, now, that whole story was kind of weird as well and kind of came together in a very strange way because we sort of made the decision pre-pandemic. Like the, our lease was going to be up in April and we were trying to think about if we we're going to stay put or not. Uh, my fiance had recently... Uh, left her job uh, teaching high school. And so we weren't really tied down to Maryland per se. Like we had family in Boston, but it's not that close. And there was nothing else really tying us there. Um, You know, we'd built some friendships, but it wasn't like we built an entire life there at this point, you know, just three years. And we were starting to run more live classes with School of Cards. Um, so like, you know, an, an in-person academy style thing where, you know, like eight or nine people come in, uh, we're filming them, we have RFID cards, all that stuff. Uh, and so that was something where I had traveled out, you know, for WSOP and we did classes. And then I traveled out in November for classes. So then it's like December, come out for more live classes. And then when we knew that in January, we we're going to have more classes, it's like, <laughs> what am I doing? We should stay, <laughs> we should start looking at, uh, at some, at some places. So, um, my fiance Mickey has always been pretty resistant to Vegas because from her perspective, it was the place I went away for two months to just like play nonstop or, you know, the place I went that even when she was there, I didn't have like a lot of time for her. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and she also had experienced like the strip and nothing else. So it was one of those things where, you know, you can't really blame her for kind of having a, a mistrust of, of the city, but uh, she came out with me for that trip in January, and we got to spend uh, a little bit more time there 
especially together and not with me playing really because I just ran the class and then didn't really I didn't play I was just kind of was there to hang out and we got to see some of like you know my, some of my network was out there um, and so spending time with them spending a little bit of time in the suburbs not on the strip really kind of bought her over and and so we basically on that trip we were supposed to be there for like maybe a week and a half we ended up being there almost three weeks we extended it it's actually apartment hunt and so we had kind of like picked out a few spots that we were interested in and we were planning to move in april now i mean there's so much weird stuff in here. it's like coming back to me so what's funny is we didn't even end up like live where we thought we were going to live so i had a friend who uh got wind that we were thinking of moving to Vegas and he was like, hold up, don't do anything. I have an idea. And he was like, why don't I like look for a place? We can mutually look for a place that you guys will like and I'll buy it and you guys can rent it from me. And so we like completely flipped our plan on its head and we started like looking at condos and stuff. Um, and, and that ended up working out and found like a really nice place and they were going to renovate it and everything. And then COVID hit, <laughs> like right in the middle of all that. And so April comes around and we're like, I don't know. We just don't really feel that good about moving. This is all so uncertain. We'd be so far from family. You know, let's see if we can extend our lease and kind of like delay this decision. So we extended our lease by three months. And then we were like, okay, like nothing's really changed. We're kind of just sitting here twiddling our thumbs, waiting to move to Vegas. Like we, like at that point, obviously nothing was open. Um, so I knew that I was not going to be able to play live poker either way, but it kind of felt like, okay, I can either be twiddling my thumbs here, waiting to move, or I can use this time to, to move and then twiddle my thumbs in a new place that I'm like excited to be and sort of excited for what the future holds. So. We ultimately decided to move right at the end of July, and I couldn't really have been happier with that decision. Uh, love our new place, love where we live, and obviously, like, the ability to be in Vegas is sort of invaluable as a poker player. Um, one of the things that we had talked about that was a good opportunity living in Vegas that wasn't necessarily related to just running live classes was there's just so much industry stuff around there like it's just the basically poker mecca so as somebody who's has like a, an online presence and wants to sort of be um, growing my brand and being involved in things where I can be uh, it seemed like that was a good place to be and one funny thing that happened in January just out of the blue was uh, stall for why pinged their community and was like hey we have an, op an open seat in this live stream for poker out loud with run it up can anyone last minute show up um, and like, you'll have to be vetted. We have to know you, but you know, can anybody do it? And I was like, wow, I'm here randomly <laughs> mm -hmm. and this is an opportunity. Like I'm going to go do it. So I went and did that poker out loud live stream. And I was like, this is the kind of thing that like, this doesn't happen anywhere else. And living in Vegas, I would just, those opportunities happen. Um, and so that was another sort of kind of cool motivator that was like, we'd already sort of soft decided uh, on, on doing it and staying or choosing to move to Vegas. And that was really like the thing where it kind of felt like, wow, this really feels like it just makes a lot of sense. Um, okay. And then I, 
returned basically recently like that was my first time touching poker chips was going back to poker out loud yeah and i can give you the alternative perspective here by the way just for what it's worth because i i also saw that tweet that berkey made and i was like oh man i want to play on poker out loud and he's like if you're gonna be here by tomorrow you got a seat and i'm like fuck i'm in atlanta in the middle of a pandemic like if i was 23 years old with no responsibilities i probably could swing it but as it is there's just no chance i can make it to vegas by tomorrow and i was like god damn it like i i can't go um so that's the alternative perspective like if you were not in vegas you're screwed i can tell you firsthand experience yep well, congrats, man. That that sounds like, you know, you got a lot going on and Vegas is likely to be a place that we consider moving. I think once the girls kind of, you know, graduate high school and start the next phase of their lives for now, we'll be in Atlanta for, you know, probably at least the next eight to 10 years. But um, Vegas is just like where everything is as it relates to the industry being you know, if you have a presence as a content creator, there's a lot of opportunities in Vegas that you're just not going to get in a bunch of other places. Yep. Yeah, for sure. But hold, hold the phone for a second here. You do not have kids in high school. Come on. No, I don't. I'm, I'm saying when okay. they do, like they're, <laughs> that's, like there's no way. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like 10 and 10 and 12 right now. So they're actually, okay. they, they got another six years, eight years, uh, probably 10 years until they're, you know, experiencing life as an adult on their own. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose, and you're easy to run over. Reflop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your preflop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your preflop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. Before boot camp, I had been playing for maybe 15 years, somewhat seriously, always trying to get better, jumping from learning program to different learning programs and training site to training site. Kind of feeling a little bit lost, not really knowing how to go about getting better. And preflop boot camp just felt like a great starting point, a way for me to to move from being a losing player to, to possibly a winning player. It felt like the right first step. Once you jumped in boot camp, what was your experience like? Well, first off, I realized that I'd been making a lot of mistakes prior to boot camp, kind of learning what ranges should look like and what hands should be played in what situations. You know, it was it was exciting because I I could see what other people had been doing to me, what kind of what I had been missing in my game. And then from there, just the whole camaraderie of everybody that's um, signed up, working together, trying to achieve that goal. You know, that that was fun. That's uh, pushing each other and really helping uh, one another, kind of feeling like you're a part of a team. It was uh, it was a great experience. I, I enjoyed the process and I learned a lot. What was your experience like playing cards post bootcamp? It's a totally different experience. You know, it put me in a position to be successful as opposed to always being behind the eight ball and, and playing catch up. 
Um, I really feel like it's it's the foundation of, of a solid poker game. And uh, since boot camp, I've been able to, to turn a profit and keep building on what I learned there. You know, being able to go back into the group and uh, re really work together even after boot camp was over, it's it's been awesome. What's your sample size of winning post boot camp? I think I have 70,000 hands played by now. You know, I'm a father and I have a job, so I'm not a, a professional player by any means. That's my sample size. Preflop Bootcamp is the flagship Chasing Poker Greatness training program. If you'd like to dramatically upgrade your preflop game, a new bootcamp launches on the last Saturday of every single month. And your link to join is ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp, all one word, or you can click through in the description box of this episode. Okay, so now that we've caught up to where you're at right now, imagine that there's a greatest hits collection, the Matt Vaughn greatest hits of just the best stories that you've accumulated in your career, traveling, playing cards. Tell me a story that's on your greatest hits album. All right. Uh, this, this one's pretty good. So I mean, it requires a little bit of lead up, but you know, so I'm a poker blogger. So the, the biggest thing that I do on, on YouTube is I, I recap poker sessions and that includes, you know, hand graphics where there's whole cards, the board cards and whatever. It's just, you know, tiny little images that like are, were very homegrown looking back in the day. Uh, they're a little more professional looking now, but uh, there was a hand I played uh, where I have like eight, six of spades in a single raised pot. The details of the hand are super unimportant, but the flop comes out like ace, king, six with two spades. And so, you know, I have bottom pair and a flush draw, right? But the hand graphics that I put out there was eight, six of spades, ace of spades, king of hearts, six of spades. So there were two six of spades, right? And, you know, it's YouTube. So, of course, every single comment on that video, every single one is like... <laughs> Great video, Matt, but did you know that you have two six of spades on that hand at this timestamp? And like you think the people typing in the comment section would, you know, read the comment section occasionally, realize that maybe <laughs> I didn't need the hundred and fifth comment about the, the second six of spades. So, you know, eventually I like I made a pinned comment where I was like, and just a public service announcement, I am in fact aware that there are two <laughs> six of spades, right? So so this becomes like a little bit of a meme in my community. Uh, people are like anytime the six of spades shows up, it's like a whole thing. And in, I want to say December 2018, I have no idea. I have, the years are just blurring together. I, yeah. I don't who cares? Know if it was 2018 or 2019, but whatever. Yeah, doesn't in matter. Some, in some, in some cold bleak winter, we hosted this meetup game at Maryland live that had like every big poker vlogger there at the time. Uh, Andrew Nimi came, Brad Owen came, Johnny vibes. Uh, Trevor Savage was there. I was there, and a few others who were kind of more local and a little bit smaller also came out. And at one of my tables, I walked up and sat down, and somebody kind of wandered over and tapped me on the shoulder and introduced himself. And I I feel so bad that I do not now uh, remember his name. But you know, we've had some interactions on on Twitter and whatnot. So like he kind of introduced himself by by username and whatnot. 
And, uh, and he says, hey, I just want to let you know, really love the vlogs and I uh, wanted to give you a little gift. And he just gave me a standard deck of bicycle cards. And, you know, of course, like that's a great gesture, right? So I'm like, oh, wow, that's great. Thank you so much. And, and he's like, well, open it, right? So I'm like, okay, it's like a deck of cards, but I guess I'll open it, right? So I, I, I snap it open. Uh, pull it out and there's still jokers on there by the way like it's a full it looks like a full deck everything seems normal and i pull off the jokers and start to spread it and every single card is the six of spades <laughs> and i went back later and i counted and there were 52 six of spades wow so, and it was like it, it was like wrapped up in plastic and everything so it's like <laughs> so uh yeah that was uh that was probably one of my favorite moments like being just a content creator and like connecting with somebody over something that's just like so silly, but we can all kind of, you know, laugh about and have a, have a fun experience with. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's great that it like turned into a meme and I'm sure that it, it built a lot of goodwill in your community speaking the same language and it probably had a lot of engagement. <laughs> I think over time, I don't know about the level of engagement, but it probably had more than your average blogs did or vlogs did at that time. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, coming up, who who is your biggest influence in becoming a professional poker player? Man, I mean, figuring out who my biggest influence was like coming up, it's so tricky because I, I really came up uh, in poker right around the boom, right? Like just a little bit after the boom. And so TV poker was really big. Uh, and so, you know, I, I grew up kind of watching that and being very influenced by it and and sort of the players i gravitated toward were you know just some of the really obvious big name ones like negranu uh tom dwan was a you know really big kind of influence and you know phil ivy was probably my favorite player basically forever um but i think that the the main thing that really influenced me was just um having like that to aspire to, but also having like these various communities that I came up through that helped me along the way, because there's such a gigantic gap at any moment in time between, you know, where you're at and kind of like that thing that you reach for. And so it's not that those things didn't inspire me. And it's not that those things weren't an important part of me kind of like loving poker and, and whatnot. But I think more important than that was, was definitely like, just the friendships that I formed and kind of the communities that I first, you know, came into and then became like, you know, more of a staple in or helped develop and stuff like that. And I would say like the people in my inner circle now are, are some of like the biggest and most important influences on me. Um, and yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting because I, I do think when you're kind of on the come up, like really new to the game, those inspirations are kind of maybe the more important part, but then as you actually become a real player and kind of come into your own and, and understand like, okay, what does being a poker player actually mean and mean to me, those friendships and those bonds are what actually kind of hold you up when you're really struggling and, and kind of help propel you forward. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that wasn't really like the question you were going for, but uh, that's, that's really how I feel. So. Yeah, it, it. I mean, this is something that's near and dear to my own heart. It's kind of the origin story of Chasing Poker Greatness podcast, right? It's like, I know that the people who have found long-term success in this game 
did not just turn their computer on, fire up a table and just win a million dollars. Like there's a path here. There's a story about struggle, overcoming it, learning, growth, influence that everybody experiences and just, you know, uncovering like where people come from was really the thing that I love most about doing this show. And, and you're right. Like basically it's hard to find Phil Ivy's email address or phone number to kind of get him in your, you know, in your poker inner circle. Right. So basically you have friendships and relationships, other people who are in a similar spot as you in your career and you kind of just grow up together and those people kind of become the most important influences, especially at like the early stage of your career. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think the, the important thing to remember also is like poker, you know, as a career, I think a lot of times we see the people seemingly coming out of nowhere, like just, you know, jumping into greatness, jumping into the limelight. And we're like, wow, like they just came out of nowhere. But like, that's not how it actually works. Like for anybody, even the people who have these like meteoric rises, you have to understand like all of them have struggled along the way. And all of them have had a trajectory that took meaningful time and energy to achieve. And so who is with you along that path is I feel like the most important thing in, in defining what you not just what you're capable of reaching but what you choose to to reach for as well absolutely it it reminds me of something that berkey said in one of our conversations i can't remember which one but he was talking about his poker career i believe he started in like 2004 2005 area and he said early on in my poker career you know around 2012 and you know that's seven years into your career as a professional poker player and like that is early in your career. And that's sort of the framing that new people or aspiring poker players ought to have in mind. Like, this is a journey. This is a long game. You're not going to get there overnight, right? Like, I have a, a private coaching student who's investing a lot of time into poker and learning and growing and, you know, very intelligent human being, mechanical engineer. And he's been at, at it in the online streets for like three months. And sometimes he gets down where it's like, you know, I'm struggling to execute these principles that we're like talking about. And I'm like, I feel like I'm just making so many mistakes. And I'm like, dude, like you're competing against people that have been playing this game for like decades and thinking about poker for like decades. And you've been at it for three months. Like, let's give yourself, cut yourself some slack. Let's celebrate how far you've grown over a few months because like it just takes time. Yeah. It, and it's it's so interesting too because I think there there's also a mentality of and this is not just in poker this is like rampant everywhere of like okay once you've made it you've made it and like you know nothing's gonna ever bother you again you're never gonna like be upset again or like you know a downswing is never gonna get you and it's just like it's the same thing all the way up and down I mean it's one of the most beautiful things about this game is that you know there's such a high degree of similarity between what you go through at the very bottom and what you go through at the top at its core, right? It's obviously the types of challenges differ. The numbers obviously radically change. And, and there are things that do change some subtle and some less subtle along the way, but at its core, you're still playing the same game. And so the fundamental struggles that you go through will always be there. And what develops is, 
or should be, you know, you and your ability to, I mean, more than anything, handle yourself, um, but to handle, you know, what the game throws at you. And I, I think that's what, what people should keep in mind too, is like, okay, if, if you, you know, you're like on the worst downswing of your life, right. And, and you're someone who aspires to reach higher stakes than you're at currently. And you want to become a, you know, more winning player than you are right now, whether you're winning now or not, it doesn't matter. Everybody wants to win more than they do now, right. In the future. It's like, you're going to, at some point in your career, assuming you don't quit poker, have a worse downswing. And you're going to look back on this moment in your career as being laughable, effectively, right? It's, it's going to, you would look at it as like, that doesn't even, I can't even bat an eye at that. I don't even bother to look at that. It's so silly. And so I think having that perspective, like taking ourselves a little bit less seriously, this is, by the way, coming from someone who's like awful at this as a default, but like getting a lot better at it. It's helpful to have those zoom out moments and it's good to be able to look both in the past direction and to look into the future and realize like, all right, where I'm at right now, it may be, it's a little bit rough in the moment, but it ain't so bad. And, um, you know, I've come a long way, but there's still a long way to go. Um, and, and that's, you know, that might seem daunting, I think, especially for people who are at maybe the lowest stakes, but, uh, you know, it only gets harder. So uh, enjoy it while you're there. <laughs> I, I think like, at least for me, that there is some level of excitement in just knowing that like the graph is going to go up and the graph is going to go down. And that's just the nature of the graph. And you can see it in folks who are less experienced, right? Because like they, mm -hmm. you speak with them and they just kind of, it's almost as if they, they become unhinged at the things that they're dealing with. And it's just like a avalanche of how everything's going against them and how everything's going poorly and how the races have been cracked three times in a row by these absurd runouts. Like they know the exact runouts of what everything that's happening. And then like at the end of this sort of just unhinged tirade, I'll ask them, so how are you doing over the last two weeks? Like, what are your results? And they're like, well, I'm about break even. And I'm like, yo, <laughs> no, <laughs> like, the, like that's how like <laughs> you're break even and going insane. What happens like when shit actually goes bad for you? Like you're going to just melt down right. and that's just what you have to, you have to harden your skin and you have to get used to it. And, and it never ends. Like you, the downswings never end. The upswings never end. The high emotions never end and the low emotions never end. It's just, how are you at dealing with those emotions and do you improve your ability to deal with them so that you can recover, you know, more quickly over time? That's really the only thing that you can work on, but like the highs and lows, no matter what you're playing, they're there for every single poker player in the world. Yeah, for sure. And I, there is like a sort of universality to, playing poker and that ability to uh, recognize the experiences you've been through in the past and, and apply them to like almost every future poker experience that you're going to have. And um, it's also one of the reasons why like, you know, this game is so great, but also like you can play with some of the best players in the world in, in some contexts, right? You can go fire a $1,500 WSOP event and, and be, you know, up against Phil Ivey or Daniel Negreanu and, and you play the same game as them. And I think what's so cool about that is like, there's no other like pursuit where I feel like that's true. There's almost no industry or, or competition where that's particularly accurate. 
Uh, you certainly can't go play chess against the best in the world, uh, and you certainly don't have any chance against them. Uh, you can't play football with, you know, the NFL. <laughs> and poker's just very cool in that way. Um, but it's also just small enough as a community that not only could you happen upon these people in a poker game by random chance, but like these people are often much more accessible to you um, via via social channels, um, via running into them in a casino. And, and a lot of them are, you know, even if they're not new to like relative poker fame or whatever, like they're still usually pretty down to earth, I found in terms of kind of like um, just being real people who happen to be really good at poker. And uh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's really cool. Like we're all in this together. And like you said, you know, it's a greatness bomb in that we're all playing the same game. And it doesn't matter if you're playing five cent, 10 cent, or, you know, 500, 1000. It's still the same fundamental game of poker. Like they're not doing something like, space alien-ish in these games. It, fundamentally, like, it's still the same game of, like, yes, you open wide on the button. You typically you typically don't have any flats in the small blind. You have a pure three-betting range. Like, that doesn't change, you know, from stake to stake. And, like, that's something that's really cool. And I, I think people kind of build up the jump in stakes too much in their mind to where it's like, oh, I'm. it's just a totally different game. And, like, it, it is a different game in that, the competition is much better. And like we said before, if you start opening like 10 X, they will punish you and you will not win. And that's the reality of the higher stakes games. But like fundamentally it's still poker, right? It's still the same game that you've been playing for, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of hands. For sure. Okay. So when you think about pots one, what's the first pot that comes to mind? (laughs) Oh no, this is such a classic poker player thing. We're like, I can't think of one. <laughs> uh, I'm man. guessing you'll you'll have an answer for the, the next question, which is pots lost. Yeah, well, I mean, I almost, oh God, I feel like it's the same. I like, I don't remember for sure, but I feel like it might be the exact same hand that I would have talked about last. There's like two or three that I always gravitate to. So. <laughs> but, but I mean, this, this story, is, it's just too good. So uh, this was played at a home game in Madison, Wisconsin in maybe like 2016 or something like that. And we're playing, it's super late. Everybody, most everybody's deep. And uh, it's one, two, but like, you know, it's, it's, cra- it's crazy town. So I'm like, I don't know, 1500 effective or something. And I'm covered by at least two players. Guy on my left just got almost stacked from having a massive stack to like, he's literally got, I don't know, $60 or something. He goes all in blind from under the gun one before the cards are even out. And I'm in under the gun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I look down at aces. Oh boy. Of course. Yeah. I limp. Of course. Jam stands. Yeah. Of course. (laughs) Uh, His jams for 60 holds around to, I believe the button who flats the 60 folds back to me. I have an option. Uh, I make it 180 and the button calls. The flop comes like 10, six, three, two diamonds. Uh, I could not for the life of me tell you if I have the ace of diamonds in my hand or not. (laughs) 
uh pot is now like you know there's 180 in the main and like probably 240 or something on the side and i bet some amount that's like reasonable but i couldn't tell you the amount and he just jams for like you know close like it's like over 1k it's a it's a very large over bet mm-hmm. um and i like tank forever tank forever i just like uh this guy's like pretty good he's capable of having weird things but i don't know what he's doing with this huge size you just kind of like feel that it's not right <laughs> like you're just you're like i should call but like it doesn't feel right so i call board runs out whatever and he has a flop set and I shipped what was probably the biggest pot I'd ever played in my life at the time over to him. And that wouldn't all be so bad if it weren't for the fact that I played this session on my birthday. <laughs> and uh, it's funny because I'm actually, I still am friendly with this guy. Um, he has played a lot of poker with me in these home games. We've played tournaments together all this stuff. And so, and we even play online in some of the, the same like smaller player pools. And, uh, he told that story recently and, and he, uh, we, he, he couldn't agree on like any of the hand details with me. It was like, he said the sizes were different. He said like the board was different. <laughs> it was a mess. It was such a mess, but, uh, but I'm obviously right. I would say number one, why, why do you limp so small? Mr. Vaughn, like, you're, like it's obvious <laughs> what you have. You may as well have turned your hand face up and been like, well, for $120, Indeed. you can beat me and I'll give you all of my chips. <laughs> Indeed. I even remember at the time trying to figure out like, okay, like what's his set mining odds here? And then just like threw it out the window. Cause I could, I was like, it was already going to be such a big pot. And I honestly, at the, at the time I was like, he's probably just going to fold. <laughs> And of course, like if I were to play that hand today, it's like, first of all, I wouldn't just have aces. I'd have like a lot of hands there uh, that I could play that way because I'd probably play every hand as, as a limp and just, I mean, there's no reason to do anything else. <laughs> well, the guy's putting yeah. in free money. Right? Exactly. So, why, why would so you do anything else? going to be a limp. And then, you know, I'm going to play some sort of strategy there that gives me a lot more hands. But either way, I'm going to raise, going to raise a little bigger. It's probably going to be, it's probably going to be coming in at like, I don't know, maybe 300 or something. At least, yeah. at least 250 for sure. But yeah. yeah. <laughs> around, around 300 for sure. And like you said, if dude's doing it in the dark, like then you can do it fairly wide. And also the good news is too, like you, you can limp fairly wide and some good things can happen, right? Like if you have sevens, you can limp for five and then it gets like raised and re-raised. You just like instantly fold. Um, right. it's a, it's a really good spot on your birthday. So congratulations right. for getting stacked. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we're going to do a little bit of lightning round here. What would you say, what would you say is a purchase that you've made in the past year that's been impactful to your poker game? Oh, this is easy. Um, definitely my aura ring, which is it's charging right now. This is a uh, sleep tracker ring that you just wear on your finger while you sleep. And uh, it tracks all kinds of data about you. Uh, I'm not affiliated with them, but I still try to get everybody I know to buy it. Probably the single most important thing for my game that purchased, which is kind of crazy because I've like purchased coaching and shit like over the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but that thing really helps me identify uh, just a lot of the habits that I had that were negatively impacting my sleep, which is a massive 
uh, massive impact on your performance. And you know, any any strong poker player will tell you that they try to optimize for performance where, where they can. Oh, for sure. I mean, sleep is like my number one priority because I know that if I don't sleep well, my performance is horrible. Like my cognitive ability to, you know, critically think and just, I'm just like in a brain fog all day long. So like for the longest time, it's like, you know, sleep is number one, like, and I have my whole ritual. And if I have something that happens in the middle of that ritual, I still do the ritual. Like I don't, uh, you know, it's basically like eat an edible sure. at 8 PM. And if I got to do something, and the edibles kicked in and it's nine o'clock. Well, that's the version of me that you get because I'm going to sleep well. Um, that is my number one priority. What, what's a, a poker related thing other folks rave about that hasn't worked for you? And why do you think it didn't work? Oh, man. What's a poker thing other people rave about? Oh, well, you said the edible thing. A lot of people talk about uh, they have to, they have to a pot or you know like to play live and i'm like first of all i've just i've I've never done anything i'm like that literally the most straight edge as they come i only drink alcohol that's that's really the only thing that i do and i do that in moderation yeah so I'll, I'll never like do stuff like that um but the the main thing i think is like why not by the way guys you know it's 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 one of these weird things where like it's partially just my upbringing and kind of like the mindset I was brought into as a kid but then as I also grew older I was just mostly opposed to things that would alter my mental state in a way that I like wasn't sure how it would how it would be and like you know I think I honestly if anything I'm more open to it now than I would have been a long time ago but I just feel like I'm at the point where it would be hard for it to bring a benefit to my life that would outweigh the other areas I can get that from. But I think that most of the guys who like do weed while playing, it's like, they're just, they're, they're, they have a lot of anxiety around playing. And it's like that if that lessens their anxiety to the degree that they feel like they can play, that's great, but it's still going to probably impair some of their cognitive performance. I can't imagine playing poker high. I can't like, I just can't. It's like, I can think about one hand for a long time, but to like play multiple, like it would just be way, way, way too much. Um, mine is really just strictly because it's a sleep aid. It helps me sleep very well at night. And that's, that's the utility, but I can't imagine like doing anything important at like nine 30 PM. Um, and by the way, you, you kind of, you're setting yourself up because you said you're more open to it now and you're living in Vegas. So it's only a matter of time (laughs) before you get, before something happens. Like it's only a matter of time before you try it out. So, um, you've, you've already cracked the door open and somebody out there, you know, you're going to, you'll, you'll try it. And, you know, I, I think that like, as it relates to things that can change or alter your perception. Yeah. Weed is fairly harmless especially if you're like doing it in a contained setting and you're not you know trying to split the atom somewhere um but yeah i I, like i I think it's better than like alcohol and in some ways like caffeine is perception altering drug um like really so anyway that's my pro drug statement for this episode (laughs) um 
Have you ever strongly believed something about poker only to change your mind later on? And if so, what led to that change of belief? Uh, yeah, I used to think that intelligence was a stronger marker, a stronger indicator for poker potential or poker skill. And I don't really think that anymore. And that's coming from somebody who uh, believes of himself to be at least above average intelligence. So, you know, you, you can tell I'm not uh, trying to <laughs> pump myself up. But the, the main reason that I stopped thinking like this was from coaching um, and from working with students who were very clearly incredibly bright, you know, performing successfully in other areas of their life extremely well, who just didn't take to poker in the same way, didn't um, really latch on to concepts or had mental game issues that outweighed, you know, any sort of like cognition that they could bring to bear. Um and all sorts of things like that. And on top of that as well, encountering students who like didn't wow me with their interpretation of concepts or their ability to regurgitate that information or, you know, their ability to apply a, what I would consider to be a high level thought process at the table, but who just crush it at, at their live games because they have a very simple system that they perform and execute at an extremely high level. And so I've found that over the years, the people who execute their strategy at the highest efficiency or like the most effectively tend to always outperform the people who have the highest level of thought process. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I think that like, as it comes to like simplifying poker strategy, people are almost like, Oh, I don't want to like, it's like, Oh, I'm just going to do this over and over and over again. And it's like, when you introduce complexity and it makes the strategy become not executable it's not functional and it's not worth anything right so like basically a simple strategy that you apply and execute at a high level will always outperform a complex strategy that you just can't execute at all yeah there, there's a massive uh i don't, I don't want to use the word pandemic but there's uh there's sort of like this just massive belief in the poker community about complexity being like something to be revered yeah and we really we really glorify complexity all the time and it makes sense because it it is incredible like you, you see a player go through a very high level process come to a like very thin conclusion but ends up being right and it's very cool to watch and witness but it's like that's not what 99 percent of poker is and being able to execute your fundamentals very well is is like probably 80 to 90 percent of the battle um, as far as, you know, obviously some theory goes into that, but it's not like necessarily a very complex amount of theory that goes into it. Um, but executing it doesn't require like a high performance of like really complex cognition, but that's what we see. And that's what sort of gets glorified in poker media. And of course I'm like, absolutely a, a culprit here. I'm not like trying to preach from my high horse or anything, but I think, yeah, there needs to be uh, an understanding of like, all right, what what actually goes into a win rate and how much of it is, you know, being able to think at a more high level than the other guy. And like some of that exists, but it's not like a lot. And especially at lower stakes, it's not a lot of that. I mean, in, in all the courses that I create and will ever create, 
my number one goal is to reduce complexity as much as I possibly can. Make it as simple as I possibly can, which, by the way, is actually very, 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 very difficult when it comes to this yeah. game. Like, if I wanted to just create some pio-aggregated reports and be like, ha, this is what you do, look at this, um, that would be very, very simple, very, very easy, ultimately not very useful to the person who's playing cards. Um, so really, like, all high-level strategy and content especially early on ought to be simplified as much as you possibly can without becoming oversimplified so that you know the strategies have some pretty obvious holes in them and it's tricky yeah and yeah and and well and this is like the crux of a lot of times coaching issues and even just like not even necessarily poker coaching or coaching but like communication is that like a lot of communication and education like a lot of it is is the onus on the like content creator to make sure that the information is <clears throat> sort of like manageable and can be understood and can be applied effectively by a by a broad you know swath of people, or is it on the the person consuming the material to receive it in its full complexity and and to do the parsing? It's like most of the time, yeah, it's harder to make that content be simpler, but that makes it so much easier for so many more people to use and find effective. And so that's really where I feel like a lot of, you know, a lot of poker coaching, not, not like one-on-one -on -one coaching necessarily, but even just like training site stuff is often like, it's on a spectrum of course, but a lot of it leans on the more complex and the less consumable. Whereas the more consumable it is for a lot of players, the more, um, more effective it will be as training so it's a hard line obviously because some of this is also like you need you want to be able to teach players to fish <laughs> rather than fish for them in a lot of ways and so you know people being able to look at a pio output yeah will that help them as a player long term probably but also some people will burn out and and won't ever really get to the point where they can uh learn how to fish for themselves or you know whatever this is a really bad analogy but <laughs> kind of look the gist of where i'm going with it. yeah for sure and something that I, i'm very proud of as it relates to like my training products is that like because of the amount of energy that's put into simplifying them oftentimes somebody will buy one and then they buy everything that i make and they're just ready to buy the next thing because they understand that it is executable it's something that will be useful and it will you know, it has a positive ROI over the course of their poker career. And like, you know, that's really kind of how it goes. You can create something that's super complex, but if it doesn't help anybody, then they're probably not going to be a long-term customer and they're probably not going to be better off. And they're probably not even going to like talk about it with other people, right? Like that's another thing that I see is like when somebody really loves something that you make, they tell people like, oh, you want to improve at poker? Go here. And you can't right. put a value on that from a business perspective. I guess you can yeah, put a it, value. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's something that we see a lot at School of Cards as well is like the people who who buy something from us, generally it works for them. And when it works for them, they are, I mean, our, our conversion rate, not to get too like salesy or whatever, but like our conversion rate on people who've purchased something in the past versus somebody coming in cold, even if they've been on our email list for a, for a long time, is like through the roof. Like it's just, it's not even comparable. So like the level of trust that you develop with a student who you can 
help learn a skill that they can utilize effectively, that level of trust is invaluable and helps build a relationship on both ends that, that works for everybody. And the, the type of work that goes into creating something that allows someone to be effective with it kind of on their own, but like just with the material, like that is really hard. And, and it's something that I, I think we see this in a lot of poker business is like, you know, a lot of us are poker players first. And so the people who do this the most effectively are often people who have backgrounds in other things. So like people who were educators or people who were, uh, you know, business people, like you'll see them excelling in these different areas in poker industry rather than just like, oh, that guy was the biggest poker player. Therefore, he has the best poker training. And that's not always the case. And I think it's something that's actually very difficult for students to then go out and parse. It's like, how do you communicate how effective your product is and how much of a fit it is for that specific person when, you know, a lot of what we're inundated with by the poker media and by, and this isn't saying like media is bad by the way, but just like a lot of what we consume as poker players is like, Oh, look at the people at the top. They are the best. Therefore they're the best teachers um, or they have the best product. And so, yeah, it's like always tough to toe that line as a consumer as well. Like finding, you know, I, I recently started, dabbling in in plo like i mean i've always dabbled in plo but like i recently started trying to take it more seriously and like trying to traverse even like the products for a relatively small variant relative to no limit like there's not as much plo training out there as there is no limit holding training trying to traverse that and decide what i wanted to go with even as like a pretty knowledgeable player and someone who you know like i make products for as part of what i do is like that was hard and, and i i don't even feel that confident that I like definitely went the right direction. So, uh, you know, this, this is not an easy problem and it's not one that will certainly be solved by this podcast between you and me, <laughs> but, um, it, it's something we're thinking about, I think on kind of both, both ends of that transaction, both as a student and as a coach or as a, as a, someone who would buy a course and someone who would make a course. And I would say just for me, who's been a professional poker player for a very long time and then ramped up coaching and building courses and just had to really think about communicating information to another human being so that they could understand it. I mean, teaching poker is a skill set in and of itself. And it doesn't matter how good at poker you are, if you've never thought about how to communicate what you know to someone else, you're going to be bad at it in the beginning, no matter who you are, you're just going to be really bad at it. And it takes reps. It takes time. It takes, you know, creating stuff and just thinking about how to be a teacher. Um, like there's a big learning curve there. And that's something that like, I guess it's hard for the consumer because they don't know, you know, there, there's no like a cert certification for, <laughs> um, high level poker coaching, like <laughs> a, gone through and have, you know, the acceptance of a regulatory body as being, able to coach right. poker to another human being. Right. So like you said, it's right. very hard and the consumer doesn't know what they don't know. And so all they can really go off of is just testimonials and yeah, just what other people have told them and their own gut, um, instinct. Okay. So a couple more, we'll wrap up. Mr. Vaughn, what's a project you're working on that is near and dear to your heart? Uh, well, Besides relaunching the live poker vlog, because I think that one's a little too easy, too, too obvious, and too like what I'm already doing, I, I would have to say um, School of Cards, I, like I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of starting to take on some different roles and wear some different hats. Um, and one of those sort of hats is 
um, basically running our subscription service that we call the path, um, which we call because uh, we help students walk their path toward becoming a profitable player. And that doesn't look the same for everybody. Um, and I sort of argue I'm walking my own path here because I went from being somebody who was, okay, doing some of the content to someone who was basically doing all the content uh, that was live and sort of like interacting with students and getting to the point of comfort with our additional coaches, because we have additional coaches, to hand stuff off to them when either I don't have the time or it's going to save me a lot of stress um, or allow me to take a trip like this and be a little more focused on family and a little less focused on, okay, how am I going to run all this shit that I normally run from, like while I'm away and all this stuff? Um, so, I mean, I don't know if it's a project per se, but just working on developing that sort of um, flow with them is, is going to be something that is hard for me, but is ultimately really valuable. And, and delegation is something that doesn't come very naturally, I think, to a lot of us who are kind of like mostly solo entrepreneurs who, who either run a business or who, you know, have a YouTube channel or, you know, these have these other areas where like we have our hands in everything. And so to pull back and, and be at a point of trust with, with people where you can hand something off to them fully and not micromanage and not, you know, have your eyes on it all the time and not be worried even about what the end product is going to be. Uh, that is, that is something that I feel like is pretty priceless and I'm, I'm pretty excited to start doing a lot more of and, and just kind of uh, hand off that baby a little bit <laughs> to, to some other people who I, who I, feel very strongly will will perform quite well with it. Well, the good news is as you're becoming Mr. Manager, um, your teaching skills translate well in this area where you're basically training and teaching someone to do what you do. So that that's a, a huge thing that you have going your way. And I would say that like it gets harder before it gets easier because like when you're when you're first managing people, you have to train them on all the things that you do, which is just an, another burden on your regular workload and it can bog you down. But once it's there and the system's in place, life gets much easier and it's, it's very nice. Um, <laughs> but it, it is a process. And it's not something that, like came natural to me yeah. either, learning how to manage other human beings. Yeah, for sure. Cause I mean, at first it was like, oh, I'm just going to hire all these people to do all these things for me. And then it's like, oh, I, I hire six people. And then all of a sudden I'm answering six questions right when right. I wake up every day and then questions. And I'm like, holy shit, like this didn't make my life easier at all. I actually just made myself a manager. Um, right. So yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's tough. Um, final question, sir. Where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience learn more about you on the World Wide Web? Uh, sure. The shameless plug portion. I like it. Um, so you can very easily find me on YouTube. Just search Matt Vaughn or Matt Vaughn Poker. Uh, I occasionally stream on Twitch, Matt Vaughn Poker, twitch.tv slash Matt Vaughn Poker. Uh, if you're interested in anything I'm doing in any kind of like training capacity, that is basically all through School of Cards right now. So uh, schoolofcards.com should get, should get you there. Uh, you might have to put an HTTPS colon slash slash in front or whatever. Um, and then my socials, I'm, you know, on and off. I'm like the worst at social because I just hate social media so much, but I, I understand maybe that I means sort of you're good at it. it actually, Matt, like maybe well, that means you're good. <laughs> if you're the worst at it and you don't do it, that's a, probably a good thing, right? <laughs> well, 
I, uh, I I don't do it as much as I feel like I should, given that I have an online presence. But uh, you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, usually active in that order, uh, at M-E-V Poker, which is just my initials. So, yeah, I think that's about it. Uh, I'm I'm excited to start getting back to actually, like, pumping out content onto that YouTube channel a little more regularly. I have, like, a, I have like a six-video backlog, man, and it feels good. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good to hear, man. I'm happy and excited that you get to hit the live poker streets once again. It's been great having you on. Any of those links that Matt just mentioned, you can also go to chasingpokergreatness.com to Matt's show page for this round two episode, and you can click through right there as well. Great having you on. Thank you for your time and your energy, sir. Best of luck traveling around the country. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.